Welcome to a special edition of Serving Stories, a podcast by Serve the City, dedicated to sharing stories of how kindness has not been canceled by the COVID-19 virus. I'm your host, Ani Deal. Instead of our normal full-length podcast this month, we plan to offer a few shorter stories of COVID kindness over the coming weeks. We hope this episode may inspire you and the friends you share it with during this challenging season. This is how all our cities sound right now. The light sound of birdsong has become more audible as the roar of cars dulls to a faint hum. For now, we have nowhere to go. Work is canceled, school is canceled, church is canceled. But we keep discovering that kindness has not been canceled. Since starting this podcast in October 2019, we have reported on only a handful of the dozens of cities where Serve the City volunteers are active. We thought that in this season of crisis, we would check back in with four of these cities to see how they have been spreading kindness during the crisis. Our first stop this season was in Lisbon, Portugal, where we participated in Serve the City's award-winning twice-monthly community dinner and in singing happy birthday to one of the guests, a homeless lady who is a regular attendee. Each dinner mobilizes about 150 volunteers to cook and serve and eat a three-course meal with an additional 150 marginalized people. But this project, like others in Lisbon, involves a lot of face-to-face interaction. It made us wonder, what had the team been doing since the coronavirus hit? We asked the Serve the City Portugal director, Alfredo Abreu, about it. All of a sudden, we were told we could no longer promote encounter, physical encounter, which is, is really important for us. So we had a staff team with about 10 people. We had uh, hundreds of volunteers every week uh, serving the city uh, through these physical encounters. And uh, all of a sudden we had no, no work, no work. It took us uh, a little while to begin to understand what we could do. One thing was pretty obvious. So the people that we accompanied, that we supported and served, they were still in need. It didn't take the team very long to come up with at least one way they could still serve. So if we can't get there physically, then we can get there by phone. And so we started uh, Friendship Online, and we now have over 100 volunteers weekly calling the elderly who live in isolation, uh, some homeless people who have phones, some uh, families in in poverty, and we call them. We get to share a little bit of their day, um, a little bit of uh, memory, uh, good times past, feeding hope for the future. Reconnecting people who normally meet face-to-face has sometimes been a bit challenging, but it is also rewarding. This old lady comes to our community dinners regularly, and uh, she has kind of embraced this younger volunteer, She says, it's my granddaughter. And so the two of them have a connection. But during this crisis, the granddaughter didn't have the phone number for the 
the grandma and the grandma didn't have for the granddaughter. And so we managed to connect the two of them and the volunteer came back to me and said, this was the best thing. I've been so worried. I didn't know what to do. And now we are in touch and it's all back to normal. So that was special. But the Lisbon team wondered what else, besides connecting with those they knew, they could do to help in this crisis. They wanted to be very careful about their next steps to make sure that they were truly helping the situation and putting their enthusiasm to good use. Whenever there is a catastrophe or a natural disaster, um, the tendency is for many people to take immediate initiative and jump in and try to do the best they can. But that's not always very good because you've got the guys who've been preparing for these catastrophes and they have their protocols, they know what to do. And if all of a sudden they are flooded with volunteers and people with great ideas, they can't do the job that they prepared to do. After a couple of weeks, as government directives for quarantine became stricter, a clear need emerged. Everybody was required to stay home. What about people who don't have a home? Where do they go? They require people to measure their temperature, but uh, what if you live in the streets? You don't have a thermometer. How do you keep doing that? On top of it all, many people who live in the streets, they need food, and this food is provided by different organizations handing out food in the streets, or they go to soup kitchens, and all of that disappeared instantly. So there was the beginning of starvation taking place in the streets. At this point, as all the regular homeless shelters were full, the city of Lisbon decided to set up emergency homeless shelters. This homeless shelter was to provide home, I mean, a roof and some food, some medical care, clothes, uh, hygiene for people on the streets. But uh, then you needed a second one and then a third and then a fourth. And we are probably now considering the fifth homeless shelter. And of course, to run these shelters, you need social workers, the psychologists, uh, the nurses, but you also need volunteers, lots of them. So right now we are managing volunteers for uh, these centers, close to 200 volunteers that serve 24-7 in these four locations. It is no accident that Serve the City Lisbon is managing volunteers for these centers. They have partnered with the City of Lisbon for years and are recognized for their expertise not only in managing volunteers, but in caring for them as well. As dozens of volunteers responded to the city's call for help, the City of Lisbon called on Serve the City for help. To Serve the City, it was specifically requested that we manage all the volunteers. Serve the City not only has volunteer events, We also do volunteer development, which is very important because we want people to serve, uh, to grow in the process and become better servants. And the city had all these people coming, but they didn't know how to manage them. You need a system uh, to make sure that people show up at the right time, they do the right job, they feel good about it, they come back. And all of that uh, is what we've been doing for a number of years. But even though the task they have taken on in the shelters is about logistics, Serve the City volunteers have figured out how to make it into a relational encounter as well. And so in two of these centers, we have already started what we call a round of talking, where people come together and share uh, whatever is going on in their hearts. Some of them are afraid, they are anxious, they don't, they don't know about family members, there's a lot of worry. And uh, so we've started these uh, conversations and it's very interesting 
how people come in and start sharing their stories and all of a sudden they feel part of the same, they're in the same boat, they are no longer alone. And so this, this is uh, special. We, we hear the, the reports from these conversations as uh, life-changing life for those who participate in it. You know, being the times so intense as they are, a simple round of conversation amongst uh, strangers promoted by volunteers who know how to get in touch with the heart of people is very therapeutic. Managing emergency shelters is big picture stuff, but that doesn't mean that the small stories of connecting people in this time of social distancing are any less important. I remember this elderly lady, 82 years old, living alone. She called me and she said, um, Mr. Alfredo, I." I never felt alone in my life. This is the first time and I'm, I'm in despair. Uh, can you do anything? So we, we got a number of volunteers to call her every week and uh, help her out with practical stuff. And she called me back and she said, I no longer feel 82, I feel 30 now. Our second stop this season was Chesapeake, Virginia, in the United States, a sprawling suburban city that is the scene of an unusual partnership between police and churches. Black and white churches are working together in troubled neighborhoods, teaming up with the Chesapeake police to do home repair and neighborhood outreach. The result has been a significant drop in crime, not to mention the new bridges of trust and racial reconciliation they have built. We talked to Pastor Durant Kreider, the director of Serve the City Chesapeake, to find out what they've been doing. As the governor began to shut down Virginia, we started realizing, wow, we have to come up with a plan here and come up with a plan quickly. And so it was like 10 o'clock one night, and I get a call saying that schools would like some assistance uh, feeding some of the kids that would normally get free or reduced lunch. And so we immediately just showed up the next day and just began supporting the crew of people that came out on a bus. The lunches disadvantaged children are normally served at school are a critical part of their nutrition. But with schools shut down, kids were not able to receive them. We have about 14,000 uh, children who qualify for free or reduced lunch in Chesapeake. And the feeding is mostly in five elementary schools and high schools that are giving out food. And then there's some neighborhoods like Harbor North where they're a little bit more isolated and people from there aren't typically going out. So we bring the food to them in the, the bus. This is where Pastor Durant and his volunteers began leveraging all the relationships they had built in the Harbor North community over the years as they let people know about the available food. We knew a lot of the parents. We knew where the people lived. And so we did that as well as just putting flyers on every door that we could. Just took scotch tape and sent teams out and hundreds of flyers talk to anybody that we could see and said, spread the word, put some flyers up in, in local businesses right in that area, and just said, we're out there to, to help the kids. But as restrictions got tighter, the volunteers were no longer able to help deliver the school's food. They were not even allowed to touch the traffic cones used to enforce social distancing. And so what we decided to do was we switched and became nimble again, and we began to just encourage the workers that were allowed to touch the food. They were city workers. And 
that became our primary role was encouragement and prayer and asking them, is there anything that we can, uh, that, that you'd like for us to do? And that isn't all they're doing. Serve the City Chesapeake set up a wide net, partnering with as many organizations as possible to make sure people's needs were met. We had people calling. We set up a little uh, web link where they could request food and people would uh, put in how many kids they had and, and how many people were in the household. And every one of those that comes in, we take boxes of food out to the people, we'll leave it on their porch, whatever they're comfortable with. And we talked to the police officers and we said, look, if you see anything out there that is a, a need, uh, please let us know. Working with the school system, the police, and the community association, we made phone calls to every person that we had served and served the city in that whole entire area and said, do you have needs, whether it's from mowing a yard? Mowing the yard. Oh, yes. If you listen to our previous podcast from Chesapeake, you might remember this guy. My name is Jay Benfonte. I work with Serve the City Chesapeake, um, along with Durant Kreider. Jay has been participating in the Serve the City Big Volunteer Week since he was a teenager. In our Chesapeake episode, he told us about how he used to throw himself enthusiastically into gardening projects, in spite of having a terrible poison ivy allergy. They said, wear pants, wear long sleeves. I was like, no, I was, I was 14, I didn't care. And I would just get covered head to toe in poison ivy every year for the first maybe four or five years of Serve the City. And I'm like, no, Jay, you're not allowed to be on this project anymore. And I would like sneak over to a yard team and start tearing down a brush off of fences again. Now, as an adult, Jay is part of the Serve the City core team in Chesapeake. And when the crisis caused everything to grind to a halt, he started asking what he could do to serve. My life kind of shut down like a lot of people's did. And uh, lots of my responsibilities were put on hold. And so I was kind of sitting back in quarantine, just like I'm sure most people are, um, and just wishing we could do something. So um, I was just kind of racking my brain for... Um, a way to bring some hope and uh, encouragement to the community. And when I was thinking about that, um, everybody's aware how people in the healthcare industry are just nonstop right now, just working all the time. And I was like, huh, like those people don't normally look like people in need, but this might be a moment that they are. So when I was thinking about um, projects on how we could possibly help healthcare workers, I'm like, they do not want contact more than anyone else with people from the outside, but I'd still love to encourage them and let them know that they are seen and cared for in this time, that they're putting in long shifts and risking their safety to care for our communities. And Jay's mind turned, you guessed it, to mowing lawns. So I was like, well, I certainly can be in their yard, even though I can't be in their house. And I bet some things that normally would be easy to keep up with, like lawn care and things like that might be falling to the side. So uh, me and John Hildebrand, one of our other Serve the City leaders, uh, reached out to 
the local hospital, the Chesapeake Regional Hospital, and asked if we could help. And they were ecstatic. In the middle of this crisis and the isolation that accompanies it, sometimes it's responding to the needs that you see that communicates care and compassion. We were out walking and we just saw that her flagpole had blown down in a massive storm that we had. We just twisted her flagpole and laid it on the ground. And it was it was like that for a few days. And so today I actually went by, I knocked on her door and she comes, she's an elderly woman, has a walker. And I said, would, would you like somebody to just, you know, put up a flagpole? And I happen to have one. When we put the flagpole up for the lady, she just came out on the porch, she looked at it and she cried and she said, she said, somebody cares. And she's in tears saying, I, I, I can't even get somebody to come and plant flowers. And so within a moment, another one of our team members was walking past and they said, um, man, my wife would love to bring our daughter over and plant the flowers. And so she got a flagpole, she's got flowers, and she said, can I pay you for it? And I said, no, just pray for us as we do the work that God's called us to do here. In our third stop this season, we worked up a sweat at the Serve the City Berlin Zumba Party. Visiting this fundraiser run by volunteer Zumba instructors gave us lots of opportunity to talk with the Berlin team about how creativity, and especially dance, can be used in volunteering. We saw how creativity not only frees volunteers to do what they do best, but enhances life for the people they serve. We were curious to see how the team was continuing to use that creative impulse in the midst of the COVID crisis, and so we called up Christina Tum, the director of Serve the City Berlin. It was no surprise to find the team encouraging their volunteers to use their own creativity to observe needs and serve in their own neighborhoods. Our volunteers by themselves individually can support homeless people and it's really needed. And so there are different fences where you can you can buy groceries or uh, clothes and put them in a plastic bag and hang it there and so that people can come by and and get what they need. And we encourage the volunteers to um, get like either a chocolate or a thank you card uh, on their way to work if they go to work or if they go grocery shopping, hand it out to the cashier or just where you are, the people who have to serve, you know, so in order that we can eat and, and all that. So just to say thank you. Another need calling for creativity that has come up was a request for volunteers to sew homemade masks. Lots of them. We have four different facilities, an elderly home, uh, a cafe for marginalized people and two refugee shelters. And they asked me for help for facial masks just because they don't get anything. And that's a total of six to 700 masks, which is a lot. The spirit of observing needs and creatively caring for them has not only extended to relatively obvious groups of people to help or appreciate. Christina became concerned about some partners that people would rarely consider to be in need, the businesses with whom they usually did corporate social responsibility projects. We have corporations with different companies for many years, and we've done social days with them and had a great time and so on. And when this crisis started with Corona, I was thinking, 
well, they helped us in so many ways, like, of course, financially and also the volunteering moments. And in a time of crisis, I thought it's not just the one way street. It should be like helping each other. And so I wrote them a letter saying, hey, if you need help with volunteers, like whatever is needed, please let me know. Needless to say, it was a bit of a surprise to these businesses that someone would offer to serve them. Most wrote back and said, thanks for the kind offer, but we're fine. But one particularly hard-hit company whose business had come to a standstill replied to the letter. When I sent out the letter, the key person of that company, she contacted me and said, well, there are still employees who are, who are in the home office. And they asked her, well, can we still volunteer? And so I said, yeah, I mean, there's a great need uh, for these face masks. And if they can sew that would be great. And so she started actually to organize with me the preparation <laughs> of these masks. And there, I don't know, I think there are 10, 15 volunteers now, and we support them with fabric and with other things they need. And I collect the masks when they are finished. And so that's really great. It's been great for Christina to have this help with the large number of masks they have promised to deliver. And she was also touched to hear from an employee of another corporation who had had to cancel a huge multi-city project they had planned with Serve the City during this time. They are really struggling because they have to support all their employees now with laptops and so on and home offices and so on. But uh, one employee, he wrote me and he said um, his initiative, he collected donations for us and he apologized that it's not... Um, like the huge amount of uh, money he could give to us. And I was very touched, you know, by an employees working there, facing this uh, difficulty and crisis, and then still thinking about the cooperation and about others. And of course, in the middle of a crisis, there's one imperative thing to do. Keep on dancing. In the midst of a uh, crisis like uh, we have right now uh, and where we hear all the time negative news on different media, it's important to focus on things that cheer our heart and our soul, like, you know, looking at a flower more intensively or uh, hearing the birds sing or being creative in, in all kinds of ways, you know, making a thank you card and giving it to somebody or or even dancing at home. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of different ways where you can make your heart still feel happy and thankful in the midst of a crisis. Stop number four on our Serving Stories tour was Tallinn, Estonia. We came here to find out about the famous Serve the City black shirts. No, not the fascist kind. These black shirts are young people in high school and university who have signed up to lead others in volunteering projects. And in talking to former black shirts, we found that this experience was formative in courage and leadership, continuing to impact their adult lives. We caught up with Lauri Loide, who was the director of Serve the City Tallinn at the time of that recording, and who has now moved to a rural village. He still oversees the efforts of Serve the City in the Nordic and Baltic regions, but he now also works with an Estonian NGO called Nino that supports the efforts of all the other NGOs in the country. 
and his new job description seems to fit incredibly well a person who is a former leader of the Tallinn Blackshirts. My project that I work on is called the Community Internship. I organize a project where I work with schools and I try to make it so that interning in NGOs is part of their school curriculum. Normally, it's part of the like civic studies where they learn about uh, the government, they learn about the three sectors, uh, they learn about what NGOs and NPOs are, how they operate, what you need to found them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so that it wouldn't be just a theory like most other things in school. Um, they need to do an internship in an NGO that they can choose themselves and just do something for about 15 hours. Organizing high school students to work with NGOs sounds like Lauri is making black shirts out of high school students all over Estonia. But the students are not the only ones that benefit from this experience. And so on one, one way, it helps to make the curriculum a little bit more practical and more interesting for the students. But for NGOs, it's vital that they get to meet local youth, maybe future volunteers, just maybe future fans, uh, donors. You know, if if you present your organization well and make it uh, understood what you do and why you do what you do, then, uh, you know, you will have people who want to support you in the future, either with volunteering or financial. And of course, we know that if you want to have uh, like a longer view you need to start thinking about the youth, you know, because nobody can be ahead of an organization forever. But what do you do when all the schools get shut down and when NGOs can no longer open their physical doors to volunteers and interns? After all the schools got shut down, um, we started uh, something called uh, e-internship. So we asked all of the organizations that participate in our program Um, who is willing to do their internship via internet so that you wouldn't have to meet. And we collected information about activities that interns can do from their homes. And we uh, sent the information to the schools so that they still have a way to do it. So that was fun. We asked Lauri, what kinds of things can a student do for an NGO in an e-internship? Well, the e-internship mainly it's to do with uh, like translating things uh, on their website, creating social media accounts, just creating content for their social media or website, doing some like fundraising things. Because of course the finances that a lot of NGOs are dependent on whether they have a charity shop or whether it's just as donors. You know, nobody's really eager to give away the money if they don't know if they will have a job next month. So, you know, a lot of organizations are are in big financial trouble. So uh, the interns can help brainstorm creative ways to, to create fundraising and other things. It sounds like the help the students are giving these NGOs during the COVID crisis goes beyond communications or IT assistance. Their participation has been a source of hope as well. And that's what Lauri is working towards in the midst of the present uncertainty. The internship has received a lot of uh, positive feedback so far. Organizations that normally tend to shut down when some uh, crisis happen. It seems like it's giving people hope that there's still things that they can do, even though most things are out of their hands. 
they're not alone in the situation where they don't really have much income, they don't really have many like clients in their projects, but at least they see that that they can do something. They can maybe focus on different things, they can do development projects, they can see the organization from a different angle. And I think that's that's a great aspect of what the e-internship has done so far. Four cities, a global crisis, and in each of them, Serve the City leaders and volunteers have taken the strengths, the relationships, and the partnerships they have developed before the crisis and turned them into responsive opportunities for kindness. Alfredo Abreu, the director of Serve the City Portugal, expresses well the way that each of these leaders, as they mobilize volunteers for the crisis, are thinking. So right now, I think we, we need to keep being what we've been so far, which is a learning organization, and be totally open to learn from the times and respond adequately. Personally, I believe this time of uncertainty is giving us all a chance to, to think about what is important, uh, not just individually and as families, but also as a society. It's a very important opportunity to rethink the kind of city we want to be. We, we call ourselves Serve the City, and we are focused on serving the city, but of course we serve specific cities. And the city is not uh, mostly the streets and the transportation and the trees and the sewage system. It's, it's people. And uh, I, I'm hoping that as we, we rethink the way we connect to each other, the way that we build the city together, that we build each other up in the city, we'll have a chance now to be deepened and improved, yes. Thanks for joining us today on this special edition of Serving Stories. I have been your host, Ani Deal. If this episode inspired or encouraged you, please share it with a friend and subscribe, rate, and comment so others can find it as well. Serving Stories this week was written and produced by Shannon Deal. Technical production and original music by Parker Deal. Designed by Jeremy Malingro. Thanks to the leaders of Lisbon, Chesapeake, Berlin, and Estonia for sharing their stories with us. We will be back soon with more stories of kindness in the season of COVID-19 in various cities around our movement. Keep safe, keep on serving, and keep sharing your stories.